Welcome to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hemmerker. In each episode, she'll talk with your favorite romantic suspense authors. They will take you behind the scenes of the writing process, giving excerpts from their writing, and share stories about their writing life. Love's Lost Star by Caitlin Smith Cece Bourbon thought she knew what love was, people using you to get what they wanted, until she met Jason Porter. But on what should have been the happiest day of their lives, Cece wakes up on a riverbank cold, alone, and in pain. After realizing she lost her voice, Cece becomes desperate to find a way to communicate with someone that she needs help. Freeing herself, she sets off in search of the only man she has truly loved. But as she struggles to find her way back home, her past quickly begins to creep back. The gang she thought she had left behind was never that far away, and the crimes she has committed are coming back to haunt her. Can God truly love and forgive her for all she has done? Jason is just as frantic to find his missing bride, but when he receives a note saying she left him for another man, his world is shattered. How had he missed her change of heart? Jason struggles to trust God in this heartbreak, battling uncertainty about the future he thought he had. But when he meets a strange woman who claims to be a private investigator, he discovers a clue that could change everything. Unaware that time is running out, the abandoned bridegroom sets off in search of love's lost star. On this episode of The Romantic Side of Suspense, I'm talking with Caitlin Smith, who, after working in schools, took her passion for teaching into the fitness world as a personal trainer. And she has, I'm sure, lots of stories to tell how she's, <laughs> uh, how she's worked and in a lot of different industries uh, and probably put those characters in her books. But I'm so glad she's going to talk with us today about writing and about one of her books, Love's Lost Star. So welcome to my show, Caitlin. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So from your bio, which the listeners can um, access a full bio with the um, with this podcast, uh, you seem like you've worked in a lot of different different places, schools, fitness, dental industry, an author. So do you do you find that that very background has been very helpful for your writing? Um, you know, I think it has. My husband at one point said, I'm still changing my major. You know, I have a whole bunch of different interests. And the fun thing about writing is I get to use that creativity, um, you know, in creating characters or developing plots and things. Um, I, I was writing while working in the dental industry. And at one point, uh, just kind of took the plunge to I got married and was able to just take the plunge into writing more full time. So um, that was definitely a blessing. But yeah, you meet all kinds of people. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You do. And I don't know about you, Caitlin, but sometimes when I'm out and about, I wish I could just like whip out my phone and say, can you hold it right there and take their pick? Because sometimes I'm like, that's like the perfect villain person or that's the perfect yes or 
you know, I've been thinking of my hero and he kind of looks like you, not exactly, but you know, that's <laughs> just like stalkery. So I don't do it. And I sure people who are a little more adept at snapping pictures without looking like they're snapping pictures of people could do it. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but that, that's, that's me. That's everyone me. would notice. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, like, cause I'm, I don't, I don't, my phone's like, it might probably be like fumbling for it, trying to get it out. My kids I'm are like, pretty, I, doing, Mom? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there were moments where my husband's like, Oh, that looks like, you know, Jackson, one of the villains, or, you know, that guy looks like this person. Cause when I started writing it, when we were just dating and I said that true love was the fact that he let me read my book to him <laughs> while I was working on it. So he knows all the characters, he knows what they look like and their personalities. And, you know, he's like, Oh, your villains are like the villains from the Goonies, you know, once we, when we watch that. So that's fun. <laughs> Yeah, now I I uh I banned my husband from reading my work. <laughs> Bless his heart. He's um he is so supportive of my writing. He is phenomenal. But he reads mostly nonfiction and mm. he doesn't really understand a lot of the fiction conventions and stuff. And he's an editor writer. That's what he does. He's a publications manager and stuff. That's my background too. And he's really good at it, but he early on, he was reading some of the I wrote and he just, he kept asking these questions. And I just thought, I was like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to literally kill you. And then I'll have, you know, be in jail and not be able to write anymore, you know, but because this was like, you know, it was stuff like, well, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? And it wasn't helpful. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? It was unhelpful. Yeah. So, so that was so, so glad you have a husband who kind of gets it because not all of them do, but as long as they're supportive. Yay. That's the, yeah. that's the most important thing. Right. <laughs> so, um, so you write full time. When do you, so, so tell me about your day. I mean, you just spend like hours writing. All of us are going to be jealous who have to do other things or. Um, like. Nope. Nope. That's not, <laughs> you know, actually that was, that was my vision when I was first like, okay, I'm going to just write full time. Like I'm going to wake up. I'm going to have this perfect schedule. I'm going to write in the morning and then I'll have lunch. And of course I'll want to write again in the afternoon and it's going to be great. I'm going to get so many books written this way. Um, that did not last very long. Um, I know a common theme in the writing industry is, you know, procrastination and be motivated and things like that. And, you know, writing when the motivation strikes and oh no, I'm in the shower and motivation has, you know, hit me or I'm sleeping and it's, you know, motivation has hit me. Um, these days, I actually uh, had a baby a few months ago. So these days with writing and baby just looks a little different. Um, I find times uh, to write on my phone in my notes, like I'll whip out the notes and start writing in there and then kind of, you know, copy paste that to my e like the process, copy paste to the email, send it to the document or, you know, something like that. Um, but it's really just trying to take, make the most of those moments you know, that are still in quiet that, um, even if it doesn't look conventional, like I don't have my laptop right in front of me, you know, if that's the only time I can write it, probably wouldn't write for a long, long time. Um, but you know, I'm trying to, to utilize the resources. Thankfully we live in an age where, um, we can access technology and use that to our benefit. So yeah, it's during nap times, it's whipping out my phone and, you know, jotting something down here or writing. I have, I'm pretty sure I have a note, in my phone that's like ideas because <laughs> you know? I love new ideas. And that's something I need to work on is just finishing an idea before I start the next one, because I, I am not lacking in ideas of books to write. Um, but yeah, and I, I think it takes, 
it takes intentionality. Um, like I have a goal right now. Okay. I want to be done with this draft of what I'm working on by this time. Um, and having setting deadlines for myself, even if a publisher hasn't imposed them on me is super helpful for me. Um, otherwise something could just never get done, <laughs> but yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm the, the listeners can't see this, but I'm like laughing, not laughing at you, Caitlin, but laughing with you. <laughs> the mom, uh, I have four bio children and they're all teenagers and in college now. So there was a time when life was really crazy with little ones running around and you had to take your writing where you could, you know, I had to learn to write in five minute increments, 10 minutes, you know, the kids, oh, the kids I had, a, um, I'm gesturing all three, like, like everyone can see me, <laughs> but I'm recording this in my office. And when they, my kids were little, they had a little play table, just their size, right over off screen where Caitlin can't see me, but are you all here? So, you know what I'm talking about right there. So they would go and they could do their puzzles or their non-glittery gluey crafts. I was not a fan of glitter. Um, and <laughs> while I was working, but you know, you would get like 10 minutes where they're all quiet. <laughs> so you would learn to use those minutes and that is just going to continue as your and it doesn't have to always be parents. You know, there's other times when we have a lot of obligations or other things. You know, the the idea that we can go be David Thoreau and go out in the woods and have our little cabin and write. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, is you know is usually not most of our writing life. Most of us have to shoehorn it in when we can. So finding ways to make that work is so important. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, even with the new baby, you're able to, able to still work. And the other thing I was going to comment on was your ideas. I always <laughs> like to say, I, I feel like I'm a magpie always going out for the shiny new thing. Oh, oh yeah. Dang, <laughs> let me go get, because it's, it's so much more attractive than the book I'm working on because usually I'm stuck <laughs> in that squishing middle where I'm like, I know how it's going to end. I know what's going to happen, but Oh, all right. I just don't really want to write it to me, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, the, the ideas is I don't lack for ideas, but I have made myself over the years, just jot them down and then work on love the work, love the manuscript I'm with. Yeah. yeah. It's a good motto. <laughs> it is. It is. I have to remind myself that. So it's not like just, you know, new writers or anything. All us, I think a lot of writers have that problem but um yeah I'll never run out or run out of ideas <laughs> oh, way too many so let's talk a little we have a few more minutes left so let me see so what does your husband think about your writing romantic suspense because you know people die or they are someone's trying to kill the hero or the heroine you know bad things happen so how do you how does your family think about your writing romantic suspense yeah. You know, they're super, super supportive. Um, my, so the, in the prologue, the, the heroine, um, she had, a, has a very sad past of some things that she went through. I don't want to spoil too much, um, yeah. but, but some things she went through in her past are really, really sad. And my dad read it. Um, and he was like, it sounds like you went through these things, which was a huge compliment to me, but you know, he's like, we were good parents. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, 
it wasn't you, dad. You know? It was me. Um, it wasn't you. I know. Yeah. Um, but that was a huge compliment. So like one of the biggest compliments I think I could get as a writer or somebody telling me, oh, it sounds like you experienced this. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yes, like that's, that's, that's what you're going for. Um, but yeah, my husband's super supportive. So encouraging. He likes to, we like to watch movies together. So he's like, oh, this could be a movie. Like, you know, I could see that. That's also a huge compliment. Um, but there, there was, uh, he, I need to start refer- using him more as a resource for like the man conversation in the books. Cause I think I have kind of a, um, maybe a fairy, maybe a little bit of a fairy tale distorted picture of how men talk to each other. <laughs> you know, I want them to be nice to each other sometimes. And he's like, yeah, that's not how guys talk. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. So I need, I need to, you know, I think pull him in more with the guy talk, you know, I, and the villains have a really interesting, uh, like camaraderie, you know, they're kind of, they, the, the guy who thinks he's the mastermind genius, um, the other two kind of see him as a bumbling fool sort of thing, you know, but something I think I, I will continue to work on as a writer is understanding the male mind and communicating that in my books, doing my best, you know, but. It's nice to have a, a a man in my life who can can be brutally honest with me about that dialogue. Yeah, no, I I hear you on that. Um, you know, I I often just eavesdrop on conversations that guys are having. <laughs> I will tell you. So one one funny story, this true true story. When I was um when I was working for the National Restaurant Association in downtown DC, I my office was on the ground floor and it was like, there was like a little like courtyard out there. And so there was a, there was these construction guys. I mean, these big burly construction guys, like your whole stereotypical construction guys, <laughs> they would go eat their lunch there. They were do, working on something. And I, I would like close my blinds, but I, the, I heard them talking one day and they, it was, I was, it was like when the, I wish I would have recorded if I'd had a cell phone, this was way before everyone had cell phones, but if I wish I'd had one, I wish I could have recorded it because it was hilarious. So they're talking about somebody's girlfriend, wife, I can't remember which, but they were talking about it as if it was like some soap opera was happening. <laughs> you know, well, she did that. Oh no, she didn't. Oh yeah, she did. You know, it was, <laughs> it was so funny. And I thought no one is ever going to believe me that these guys are talking this way because it was just, it was such a girl. It sounded like such a girl conversation. You could just change the pitch a little bit, but they sounded like a bunch of women gossiping. It was so funny. I said, what is going on in the world? So, yeah. So sometimes you can have a little. And you were thinking I would write, if I wrote this in my books, people would say, I don't know. Yes, exactly. So I have not written that in my books, but I have thought about it because it was just such a funny conversation. The way that they were joking with this one guy, it was really kind of, you know, totally, you know, I was like, I, I did like peeked out there just to see what they look like. Cause I could just hear them. Cause I always kept the blinds closed and I was like, yeah. Oh my goodness. These poor guys sitting yeah. up there eating from their lunch bite. It was really funny. <laughs> really funny. So yeah. So everyone's the- personality is different anyway. Right. Yeah. So you're like, this is the, the personality. Yeah. Well, this is how this character is. Okay. Right. Stop messing with them. I created them. I can, <laughs> I can give them whatever they want. So, um, how do you ensure that your books are accurate? You talked about, we talked a little bit about, you know, getting the male perspective, right? How else do you make sure that you have, you know, that your books are believable? Yeah, I think that like with this book, 
Um, I really wanted to, I wanted readers to really get the message about like redemption and fresh, fresh start. And um, this character, you know, has, has made some big mistakes in her life, you know, and, and kind of is trying to start fresh and here these mistakes are kind of coming back to haunt her. Um, and I think kind of drawing from some of the feelings we have, you know, personally, like, I think a lot of us have experienced, like, maybe feeling guilty about something or feeling like shame, or there, there's something that we wish we could go back and erase from the slate of our lives. Um, so kind of trying to draw from some of those emotions uh, to paint her as a character to understand, okay, she, how is she really feeling about all of this, especially as somebody who, who thought everything was behind her having it thrust in her face. Um, you know, and that's, that's where the faith message kind of comes in too. Yeah. Well, that, that's a great setup for ending our show. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but thank you so much for being on my show today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense. I'm your host, Sarah Hamricker, and I've been talking with Caitlin Smith. You can hear um, an excerpt from her book, Love's Lost Star, after this. Now an excerpt from Love's Lost Star by Caitlin Smith. Prologue, July 18th, 1983. She sat in the darkness of her room, holding her knees to her chest. The only light was that of a soft glow issuing forth from an outlet on her wall. She looked out the window from atop her bed. It was a black night. Intense rain had wreaked havoc on her life the past two days, and the storm clouds still hovered tonight, blocking any light that the moon or stars tried to offer. When it rained outside, it poured inside. Rain meant Papa and Mama were bored, and bored parents spent more time with her. Slowly, she released the hold of her knees and let them drop to the side. She stared down at her forearms. In the dim light, she could see large, black and purple marks from all the time she and her parents spent together. The biggest ones were from Papa. From what she understood, it sounded like he had lost money this week, from a race or poker or something. Anyway, if she hadn't been such a distraction, he would have been able to focus and win. She had to learn her lesson somehow, and Papa deemed this way best. She shifted her eyes toward the meek light coming from the wall to her right. It was a star, the night light. She had always liked stars. They were sparkly, and somewhere along the way, she heard that if she saw the first star of the night, she could make a wish. She sighed. She couldn't see any stars out tonight. Instead, she gazed at the plastic imitation on her wall, closed her eyes tight, and made a wish. She knew it wouldn't come true, but it was worth a shot. Her eyes steadily moved to the left of the light and settled on a little pink backpack. Its contents made the bag puffy, and the light purple zipper was slightly opened. She pulled her knees back in and tucked her head forward to rest upon them tonight. She should just do it tonight. What was she waiting for? As she continued to think, 
she heard a door open and close. Where's my briefcase? The thunderous voice rolled through the house. Papa was home. He'd gone out for a few hours and didn't say why. Suddenly, there was silence. She slid off her bed and crept toward the door. Putting her ear to the wood, she could hear the muffled sound of talking downstairs. Needing to know what was happening, she slowly turned her doorknob and tiptoed toward the banister railing. Where is she? Papa's voice boomed. In bed, Mama answered softly. She was probably looking down as she spoke, a customary behavior nowadays. What? She doesn't want to greet her father when he comes home? You wanted her to? Mama questioned sarcastically. The sound of several quick steps was followed by a thud. Mama groaned. Papa laughed. She could hear Papa moving toward the stairs. She scurried backward and rushed toward her room. Quietly closing the door, she thrust herself under the covers. Maybe Papa would see her sleeping and leave her alone. Suddenly, the door flew open, and the heavy steps of judgment came closer. On his way to her bed, she heard Papa stumble. You little piece of nothing! He roared. He reached for her blanket and yanked it off her body. She sat up and turned toward him in a panic. He smirked. You want to hurt Papa? Shaking her head, she slid from her bed and backed up. Stopping, he glared at her. Come here! He pointed to the floor beside him. She looked at Papa's finger, up at his face, and over at her tiny backpack sitting on the floor. Without another thought, she raced around the bed and toward her bag. Papa reached over and grabbed her arm as she struggled to pass. She shrieked. Papa's hand was wrapped around two big bruises on her right arm. He squeezed. Oh, does that hurt? He squeezed harder as she wailed. Well, perhaps you know how Papa's ankle feels now, huh? He reached for the doll over which he'd stumbled and threw it against her bed. Tears streamed down her face as she jumped, driving both heels into Papa's foot as she landed. He gasped, but before he could stop her, she ducked between his legs and lunged toward her bag. After grabbing it by a strap, she raced out the bedroom door. Hey! He hollered as he chased after her. She hopped on the banister rail and slid down the stairs. Landing swiftly on her feet, she glanced right and made eye contact with Mama, curled in a ball against the floor. Mama's eyes were surrounded by puffy red skin, her thick tears concealing the once golden flecks within her auburn eyes. The gold had faded years ago, and it seemed her light would be gone forever. Although she looked at Mama for a split second, it felt like an hour. The frozen moment shattered when Mama shook her head and looked away. She was right to leave. Nobody cared anymore not even her own mother. Spinning her head around, she saw Papa wobbling down the stair. 
there were no more seconds to waste. She quickly turned and ran out the front door. Papa's yelling followed her down the sidewalk, although he wasn't close enough to catch her. You come back here this instant! Do you hear me? I mean now! Still shocked by what was happening, she kept running. She'd been planning her escape for months, and although she had desperately wanted to leave, she questioned if she actually could. In her final strides down the front yard, she could faintly hear Papa's final words. Young lady, there will be nothing for you if you don't return this instant. Your mama and I won't love you anymore. Her heart sank and she slowed to a walk. She had only heard Papa use that word a few times in his life. Whenever he said it to her, it was in conjunction with punishment. If Mama and Papa's way of loving meant pain, then perhaps she didn't want their love after all. She glanced back at the house. Wiping the tears from her cheeks, she frowned. She was done caring about people. She didn't need love. As far as she was concerned, all she needed was herself. She was done with that house and would never go back. Rubbing a wet hand against the soft fabric of her leggings, she huffed and started running again. This was the last time she'd ever let someone make her cry. From now on, nothing would break her heart. Thanks for listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hammerker. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can sign up to receive notifications of upcoming podcasts and listen to previous editions at sarahhammakerfiction.com.